What is up? It's your host, Alicia, and you're here for a good time. And so am I. Could you imagine if I used that line the moment I showed up to a guy's house for like a one night stand? Epic. <laughs> that being said, you are first gen. Why don't you tell us who you are, Mariella? <laughs> so I'm Mariella Dolamora. I am a business and leadership coach. I serve primarily um, women of color, many of whom are first generation, um, daughters of immigrants. And I help them really by looking at how much of their conditioning shows up and holds them back in entrepreneurship specifically, even if they in many cases were thriving and high achievers and super accomplished in corporate. So that's the mindset approach that I take in business. Um, and yeah, I, I can share a little bit more about like my story too. And just like kind of the parts of my identity that I bring into my business, um, which is being the eldest daughter of Mexican immigrants, having two mm -hmm. younger sisters, having um, really spent the first 30 years of my life doing all of the like perfect eldest daughter golden child like grocery checklist of life like I did all the things and um kind of getting to a point where I I dismantled it to create the the life that I have now and the business that I have now that's so interesting because you're talking and I'm like I have gone against the grain ever since I can remember like <laughs> my parents wish they had the like checklist kid but yep. I was pushing every single boundary I could and every single button looking back. And even now talking about like being on or creating this podcast and, you know, all the topics that we talk about, a lot of South Asian people would not be okay with like sharing those aspects of life, whether it's talking about yeah. like sex or their relationships and like mm -hmm. failed relationships because it's looked down upon. Yes. Um, so it's really interesting that you bring all of those things up. So what did that look like for you growing up and what pressures were applied? So I think growing up for me, I, um, I mean, I was as many eldest kind of are, like I grew up watching my parents like financially struggle, even though like we had all the things we needed, but we always like, I remember hearing a lot of talks about like money and what if we don't have enough money and just seeing my parents worry a lot. And so I think I, from like a young age without realizing it was like, I'm going to make sure to take care of myself so I can also take care of my parents. And then when my sisters came along, I was like, and I'm going to make sure like to be there for them because I got praised a lot for like being helpful. I got praised for getting good grades. And I think without realizing, sometimes first-gen kids, we don't realize like at the time, but now looking back, I was like, no one could have helped me with my homework. Like at a certain grade, I was like, you're on your own kid. Like you passed like fourth grade or something. <laughs> so it's like, you better be good at school. And so I think I just was like, I got me and I got everybody else. Mm. And I think those were the pressures of just like not having needs, being smart, good at school, being helpful, helping with my sisters. Um, I'm 13 years older than my youngest sister. So like I literally was like the one like feeding her baby food and like changing her diaper and, you know, just being a little adult. And that I just carried that because it's like that's when I got attention was either kind of being praised or just like not being criticized. Because a lot of the times we're just told like, good, you're supposed to do those things because life is hard and life is expensive. Like right. keep going. And that's kind of it. Like that's what I strove for. 
is like life's hard, life's expensive. Like you better be the best and the the hardest worker in the room um, because we need you to like do better than we did and like not struggle. Um, so I think I took that as like my assignment uh, for sure. And I can talk more about like what that looked like, you know, kind of like after high school because I, I, I feel like I really took that assignment to heart. Yeah. Um, and especially go into that because – you also, you know, married your high school sweetheart, which is like, I feel like everybody's dream, um, which actually actually turned out to be the opposite of a dream mm-hmm. for you. Um, yes. So yeah, carry us through what that sort of era of your life looked like. Yes. So it, I think that even in, in recognizing like me looking back now and um, seeing how like I didn't date at all until I was 18, like I was just like trying to do all the right things. I also wasn't allowed to do anything. Like I just had to come home after school. Like you, there's no sleepovers. There's no like hanging out late that, um, I saw and I looked around in my family and there weren't any divorces in my family. People just kind of married the first person they ended up in a relationship with. Like dating just wasn't a thing. It's like some family knows another family. They think you guys should know each other, like whatever that is. That wasn't the case with how I met my ex, but Um, we were together, like he was my first boyfriend and, um, we were together from 18, um, up until 31. We got married when I was 29 and did all the things like bought the house. We had like this big expensive wedding we couldn't really afford. There was a lot of like wanting to look a certain way. Um, but for me in my mind, it was never a question of like, does this relationship work for me? It was just sort of like, you're just supposed to keep trying no matter what. And you're supposed to stay with the person no matter what, because that's what I saw um, like in my family. And so I think this is now in leaving that relationship, um, I think I realized like why that was the moment that I realized like I am on a mission to understand like how my childhood trauma like affected my decisions because for all intents and purposes, my 20s were very successful. Like mm-hmm. I got my bachelor's degree. I got two master's degrees, like one in HR and one in um, I got my MBA. I graduated with a 4.0 average, like not a single e- A minus. Like I was like, I'm get I'm going to knock it out of the park, whatever I do. Right. Right. I got the six figure job and all the things that I was just like really good at making things happen, getting whatever I wanted, even if it wasn't good for me. And I think I just didn't realize that, that I was also in this relationship and I was like, I'm going to make this relationship work. And so after we got married, um, I think I went through probably looking back like my almost like awakening. Some people will say it's like Mm -hmm. your Saturn return. Um, But what happened for me was that I, I turned 30. And as a lot of people do when they turn 30 is I looked at my life and I was like, wow, I actually have all of the things that I said that I wanted to have when I was 20, Mm -hmm. but I'm not happy. I can't see myself moving up in my job as a, I was like a senior project manager at an insurance company, health insurance company. And I, I was scared to have kids with him. I was like, I don't, I feel like we're supposed to have kids. We were a year into our marriage. And I just was like, I would feel so trapped if we had kids together that I was like, why do I feel like this? So I started, um, I think what kind of rewired my brain at that point was I was like, okay, I don't feel happy with my body right now. So I think I'm just going to start focusing on like working out and changing the way that I eat. And that's, that was all I could really think about at the time. But there was something about 
the act of self-love in that period of my life between 30 to 31 of me putting different food in my body and like working out. Um, and that that was my own thing that I did on my own that I think I came out of it. Like I lost 42 pounds in nine months. I was doing like workouts every day after work that I was like, wow, I can treat myself with love. And if there's something I don't like, I can change it. There was something about that, that the next time I saw a message in my phone from a girl he had been talking to, because this was always what was happening in our relationship was like, there were always other women, but whenever Mm. I would bring it up, it was always like gaslighting and you're crazy. And why were you in my phone? And like, that's not even a big deal. And I don't even know who she is. And I just like that. So (laughs) it's so tiring because you you start to like question yourself and whether you're crazy and you're like, am I making something out of nothing? And then you're just like, Okay, I must be. And like just backtracking a bit to, you know, Mm -hmm. you seeing just people around you in your family just making it work regardless. Mm -hmm. Same thing over here, like same exact trauma, which is why I ended up staying in so many things that just didn't serve me. And being able to recognize that looking from the outside in now, it's such a mind fuck because I'm like, Oh my gosh, I I personally don't want kids, but if I had kids, I would never want them to do something like that and be okay with just settling for the sake of like, what will people say, which is huge in like the South Asian culture. Yeah. Oh, so much in the Latino community too. Right. It's literally, there's a saying in Spanish that's que va a decir la gente is what what are the people going to say? Oh, we have one. (laughs) (laughs) And it's like, it's a key phrase that you've heard your entire life, even growing up and like getting in trouble so much. It was all, all of like, oh, but if you're doing this out, like, what are people going to say if they see you? And I'm like, well, why would they even be there to begin right. with? It's like, um, what do you mean people? Like, oh my gosh, it is right. the weight. It's like such a weight that your parents will put on you. Uh-huh. And a lot of the times it's like, what are the people going to say about you? But what does that say about me? Yes. It's so much like projecting shame onto you and being like, it's your job for me not to feel ashamed. Right. Because this was like, and it's been passed on from generation to generation, especially I feel like in, you know, um, immigrant parents, um, because that's kind of all they knew in these like other places. And like, my parents are from Fiji, which is like so small. Um, You can get around the entire island in like 10 hours. Um, But everybody knows everybody there. So I think there was like that sense of like community of, oh, if you do something over here, it's going to get to the other side of, you know, this country, essentially, in a few hours. Yeah. You know what this made me think about when you said, like, you know, you came from, sorry, your parents came from Fiji. It's a small island. My parents grew up in ranches in Mexico. So, like, Mm. they literally had, like, farms. They had cows. They had pigs. They, you know, all of that. And so the ranches are also, like, their own mindset in Mexico. It's even more, like, small town. It's literally, like, if you grew up on a farm – and people would, because they had so many children, my dad was one of 16, 11 survived. So, oh. and my mom was one of seven. My grandmothers were alone 11 months out of 12 because my grandfathers both were field workers. And so uh-huh. they literally like lived in California, would work in the fields and send money back and maybe go uh, one month out of the year 
my grandmothers would get pregnant on those trips and have another child. So I think about the reason that community and opinion mattered so much was like, they literally like people would like look out for someone else's kid. They'd be like, your kid was over here. And like, they would like, you kind of needed all the mothers in the neighborhood to like, in the, in the village to like watch the children or to like tell on the children if they were doing something and they weren't supposed to. So I feel like that was it. It's like, not only did they not have other people, I feel like they relied on one another, like to Mm -hmm. survive. (laughs) Oh, for sure. Yeah, yeah. It was very much a like, yeah, complete like actual villages. <laughs> it is. And I think like I was able to look back at like, why did that make sense? Like so much of like their mindset like made sense for them because it really was about survival. And so I remember as you were saying about like, what are the people going to think? There was one time where um, I was more of like the rebellious, you know, streak because I moved out when I was 19 with my boyfriend who I later married. And it was because my mom and I were fighting so much about me just like going out and doing stuff. And I remember being like, I'm so responsible. I have a job. I have a car that I pay for. I pay for my own car insurance. Like, what do you want from me? Like, I don't, you know, we're always fighting. And then she'd be kicking me out as a way of like threatening me or whatever. And it's like, love you, mom. But like you did that stuff back then to try to control me. And so I was like, well, I'm just going to move out. And I remember her being like, oh my God, we're going to go to a family party this weekend. Like, what are we supposed to say? And I was like, I don't care what you say because I'm not ashamed. Right. <laughs> so if you're ashamed, that's <laughs> fine. I'm not ashamed that I moved out. So it was things that like even American culture looks at, like they praise it, like, oh my gosh, like the kids are out of the house at 18. There, they're like, yeah, better not move out until you get married or that's going to bring shame to the family. <laughs> 1,000%. But it's also like... Because, I mean, I always acknowledge this privilege of, like, being able to come back home to my parents' place whenever I want to. Um, And, like, that has propelled me in my business quite a bit because of that financial aspect. Um, Mm -hmm. But there is definitely that, like, oh, okay, yeah, don't move out. It's, you know, look down upon because people are going to say, like, oh, my gosh, she's (laughs) living with her boyfriend or he's living with his girlfriend and they're probably sleeping together and who knows what's going to happen. And they're not married. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm like, oh, no, you guys really <laughs> it is going on out there. Mm-hmm. And it's such a different world. So I feel like in many ways, um, and it depends. And I think this is such a unique thing about being the eldest daughter, um, because I think the eldest daughters inherit the expectations of like decades ago, because mm-hmm. I think that our parents lived. I would say that my mom was my mom was born in 59, but like they very much carried 1950s Mexico expectations and held them tight and put them on me. Because even me, sex before marriage was even like a thing where I was like told about like, you're not supposed to do that. Whereas my sister's totally different expectation. And that is a unique experience about being first gen because they're literally like, we came from our homeland. This is what we learned. This is what I see as true. So this is what's true for you. So there's so much of like, we brought our parents like forward, like yanked them decades, Mm -hmm. not only decades wise, but like progressively thinking and, and also American, like Americanized on top of that. So there was a lot of those years of my life being like, I'm ashamed. And like, I had to move out at a young age and all of that, like way younger than I needed to. And that is why I ended up not, I don't want to say that this is all why, but it made sense that during that time, I really wasn't thinking like, is this the right person for me? Because I was Mm -hmm. like, well, I'm used to fighting with people I love. I'm used to being invalidated by people I love. And so like, this is kind of no different. It's supposed to feel like super hard work. Um, And I learned this when I first started in therapy um, at 31, which was like, um, we learned certain associations and I associated control with love. 
Like mm-hmm. if a person loves you, they control you and they tell you what to do, which is why I ended up in a marriage where he didn't want me to have friends. He didn't want me to go out. He was like, oh, you're going to like cheat on me or whatever, even though he was really the one doing that. Mm-hmm. But it just seemed normal because I was like, well, I'm used to having to defend myself and like advocate for myself and not feeling no. heard, you know? Right. And so you end up leaving. The thing is when you don't like listen to your children, they'll leave because they'd rather just be somewhere else and they're not necessarily making the best choices for themselves because I was just like, well, I just need to go. Right. So I think that's why that lasted as long as it did until I then became a different person and was able to look at the exact same relationship and the same person with a different lens of absolutely not. Like this is not going to happen. And that's what allowed me to one day at 31 have the same instance happen of infidelity, but have me show up to that situation and say, nope. And I moved out that evening. I packed my stuff while he was gone. I went to my mom's house. I told her not to ask me any questions right now. And they were happy <laughs> when they eventually were like, oh my God, you're leaving. And I'm like, yes. Wow, so my next question was like, how did your parents take this? And was there like pushback of like, hey, no, this, you know, it'll be okay. Um, it might've just been a one-off thing or were yeah. they to a point where they're like, mama and papa bear mode of being like, absolutely not where, you know, there's things that fly, but there's definitely Mm -hmm. things. Yeah. I know in some families that does happen and that's, that must be really hard where they're like, that's your husband. You need to make it work no matter what. Thankfully they were also very different people by that point because my sisters had also started to grow up and challenged them. So (laughs) I had very different parents by the time I was 31 and they had seen how he treated me and all the things that they were actually like. The other thing about being in an unhealthy relationship, at least for me, is that you protect your partner. So like you don't share certain things because you don't want the people you love to be like, why are you tolerating that? So it was because once I knew I was leaving, I actually was able to tell everybody what was going on. So I kind of spilled 13 years worth of things I had been keeping in the closet. And so there was no way at that point that they were going to be like, maybe you're going to work it out. So And the fact that I started therapy for the first time and my therapist introduced me to the term gaslighting and Mm -hmm. um, I was able to kind of just have compassion for myself and be like, wow, like I really had just like learned this and that's how I was able to stay in this relationship for so long and really understand even how my relationship with my mom I used as like a model for um, like what was like normal and the role that I needed to play. And I was even able to just have compassion for her and be like, she's just like doing the best that she could, but like this is kind of the effect. So I felt like I just showed up to the same situation as a different person and was able to leave pretty easily, Um, which is maybe not common, but for me, it was like the easiest decision. (laughs) Wow. And so that happens. And then what, so you didn't have kids with him. No. Um, And then what led you into essentially your next relationship or even your next venture? So my 30s were the chapter of like finding myself. So I think that when that happens, when you feel like you're sleepwalking through life for so long, a part of me was like, how did I get here? And how do I go and find myself now? Like, who am I really underneath this? So um, from 31, like I left San Francisco, I went to go to live in San Diego, where I had kind of made friends, and it felt really fun. And like, it was just so fun. Like those years, it was like the first time me being single. And um, there's something about San Diego that just like, it is is fun. It is a fun time. If you have one thing to do, 
everybody listening. It is spend time in San Diego, whether it is like six months to a year. You just need it for your soul because you meet so many people out there and you really, I feel like, realize how precious life is. I feel like that's the vibes of San Diego, whether, you know, you're randomly sitting at a beach and somebody comes up to you or just even the people who grew up there. I feel like it's very like, you know, life is so precious, like really live every day to its fullest. And just, and also they're just, it's such a different culture that I think for me coming from San Francisco, which is a busy, expensive city, whatever. Mm -hmm. And then like these high expectations, I went to San Diego and I was like, nobody here makes plans. They'll (laughs) just be like, I might see you this weekend, but what happens is like, it'll be like a text thing this morning and be like, where are we about to meet? Like, but no one will make plans ahead of time. And it's just like, and it'll be things like, I still had my job. So when I moved to San Diego, I still had my job at uh, Blue Shield of California, this health insurance company. I was like a senior project manager. Right. And it would be things like I was so efficient at my job and people would be like, there's a pool party happening at one o'clock at the Lafayette yeah. Hotel. And I was like, all right, I'm going to a pool party. It was just like, my soul needed this because I felt like I was having fun for the first time. Mm. I was not having a care in the world. My cost of living got sliced in half because I had a roommate um, right. who was a bartender. I knew nothing but bartender and tattoo artists and musicians. So that was super fun (laughs) and a little reckless. And I needed to be reckless. Like I needed to, and I didn't do crazy stuff, but I like, you know, I was partying and I just was like, and I think after a year or so of doing that, I was like, okay, this is fun, but like now what? And I still had this job. And the next chapter was layoffs. Another round of layoffs were happening at this company. And I said, I'm not going to I'm not going to be here like after the layoff. So I decided like, I remember having a conversation with a friend of mine, Roger, um, and we were at a coffee shop and I said, I feel like this is crazy, but I don't think I want to take whatever job they offer me after the layoffs. They were going to lay everyone off and offer them a new job. Right. Right. And he said like, what would you, so the choice is either take the new job or leave the job and go travel. I said, this seems crazy. Like, I just feel like I want to go to Europe and I just want to like travel by myself, even though I don't really know why. And he's like, well, which one would you, do you think that you would look back with regret? He's like, if you went and you traveled and you spent all your money, because that was my fear. He's like, would you ever regret it? And I was like, well, no, because I could just go get another job. And Mm -hmm. he's like, and if you took the job, would you regret? And I was like, yeah, I always would wonder what if. And he's like, okay, well, then that's your answer. So I decided to take this round of layoffs as an easier way out, take my severance pay, be able to collect unemployment, take my savings that I was able to, you know, re-up because my cost of living was so low and I bought a one-way ticket to London. Um, And I decided to stay there for a month and I just had this feeling that I needed to be in London because funny enough, when I went on my honeymoon to my ex who I was with for 13 years, we went to London, Paris, and Amsterdam. And while I was in London, I had a vision forward. It was like a deja vu moment of me wearing a gray pea coat, living in West London and walking to the tube station, going to work. And it was a very like average day. And I've had these happen a lot. And I said, I think I'm going to live in London. I don't even know like what, where the story is going, but I got goosebumps right now. Yeah, we will. This is what happens when you start to listen to your intuition. It's like my higher self was like, that's an average day in your life, in your future. I'm not going to, and that's it. Nothing, nothing more. Years later, I followed that. And I was like, I just need to be in London. Fast forward, I actually did wind up living in West London, had a great peacoat that I bought at a charity shop in Chiswick where I used to live. And I would walk to the tube station and go to work. So I literally did create that life. Um, 
And then I met my ex-husband. In the beginning, my daughter's father, I met him at the beginning of my solo travels when I didn't want to meet anybody <laughs> and I just wanted everyone to leave me alone. And I met him and he was attractive and he was charming and I like fell in love. And I tried to push him away and say like, I don't really want this. It was a long distance relationship, but we were kind of inseparable from when we met. What's and that began- take, take I hate it so much. It's not fair. <laughs> and so like this chapter was like me going to London. I fell into a freelance gig um, supporting like underground hip hop artists. So I literally was what? there like, yes, okay. I have so many. I didn't even know that part of you existed. <laughs> Shut up. Underground how UK hip hop artists. That's how I got introduced to UK. I already had the trip, but I, I had friends in San Diego who had this um company called the cypher effect and it was all underground la based hip-hop artists and they're like will you when you go to london can you interview this like female rap group for us um and so i just kind of fell into it like it, the underground hip-hop scene in the uk by doing interviews they taught me how to be a videographer do social media management so that's how i that's how i ended up in the uk that's how i met my ex-husband because we were at this event it was a clothing shop opening right and i've had so many chapters but like long distance relationship, freelancing. I continued solo traveling for nine months. I would anchor back into London and come and spend time with him and come back to the States. And eventually we got engaged and married and I moved to the UK. Um, well, I moved to London um, as newlyweds, not knowing you know very many people and started my job as a marketing director. Um, and that's the job, the last job that I had before I started my business. Right. Um, and that that also kind of has a I guess sad sad ending, um, but I don't look back at that time with regret because ultimately mm -hmm. like we did split up while I was pregnant, and I didn't expect it, and it was really really hard. Like it was the hardest year I've ever been through in, in 2016 because I I spent my London years working so hard building up my company that I used to work for. Like mm -hmm. it was like rapidly growing. I hire, I learned how to hire teams, lead teams, people across time zones, build out processes, strategies. Like I, it was like, it was my business. Mm -hmm. And I also had a dating app that I co-founded. So I was like working like 17 hour days the entire time in London. My, my husband, ex-husband would, would as well. Right. So I just felt very lonely. And I think we realized that together, like we never really got to like live together because we had to get married in order to like live in the same country. So I think right. it was a thing where um, we have such a great relationship now and, mm -hmm. you know, Pi knows him, my daughter, um, you know, he's, he visits as regularly as, as he can. They FaceTime all of that, but the relationship was never going to work. And it was really hard um, to go through a divorce while I was pregnant, have to move back to America, move in with my parents because I like spent all my money, like moving right. there and moving back. Um, but that was the end of that chapter was leaving with no money. Um, be, thankfully being able to keep that job. I literally was on like food stamps. It was the most, I loved that chapter. Right. It was the hardest, most beautiful fears of my life. Like for sure. It sounds very romantic. It literally sounds like eat, pray, love. Like I literally had an eat, pray, love year. I, you know, it's like American girl goes and falls in love with charming British man. Right. And my whole family loved him and everyone loved him. And it was a very public love story. You know, people were cheering us on and saying like, you guys are couple goals. And he was professing his love publicly and all the things. It was just such, 
And I think going into that relationship, I was like, well, what the hell do I know about love? I always had someone who treated me horribly. And here's this man who like wanted to be with me from day one. Um, And realizing that was also a trauma bond because it was Uh like, you know, um, love bombing from the very beginning. But it was from a, I feel like it wasn't like intentionally meant to hurt me or anything. Like we both were, we were both, we were both in that trauma bond, but like weren't bad people. I think it just was a very romanticized view of like our relationship and then real marriage came in and living day to day and all of that. And I think that was the, you know, the realization. Um, And so it's funny how like those, the trauma can show up in such different Mm -hmm. ways and like who we choose and how we choose each other. And that just really further like was another reason why I'm like, I really want to understand myself. I want to understand how the way that we're raised and like what we look for um, gets shown in our, in our lives, because by all intents and purposes, my life was very successful. You know, it's just my relationship choices and things were still coming from this place. Um, And so after getting pregnant with my daughter um, it's funny because I always wanted to be a mom. I always wanted to be a mom, but by the time like we Mm -hmm. I got pregnant twice and lost the first two pregnancies and so it's like by the time that I got pregnant with my daughter I was literally like this would be so funny because we were already split up and like two weeks later found out I was pregnant I was like this would be so funny if this is the pregnancy that keeps and we're split up Mm -hmm. and that was hard yeah because I was like am I going to have this baby and that was a question for a minute you know like am I going to have this baby because I'm not going to stay in the UK um and then thinking, mm-hmm. well, I was pretty sure I had to quit my job to leave the UK. And I was like, well, right. what am I going to do? Go to America with a belly and like go look for a job, you know, even though I was I had a great resume. But I just was like, it's mm-hmm. it's interesting how you could do like all the right things, but still end up in a place where I'm like, I don't think I can get a job pregnant. I've spent all my money on visas and moving all my stuff to the UK. I now have to move it back. I also spent a year right. and a half like freelancing, but not really making money. And so I took a lot of risks and I was like, I had never felt like not mm-hmm. helpless, but like I couldn't take care of myself. It And I was 35, like I was 35 when all of this happened. And my parents said like, look, I'm not going to tell you what to do. I'm really sorry that you're going through this. We wish we were there with you. Um, but if you decide to have this baby, like you can move in with us, we'll help you raise her. And until you're, you know, until you're on your feet. And immediately I was like burst into tears and was like, yes, like Mm -hmm. I want to have this baby, but I just don't want to be alone. And um, that's what I did. So I was six. I continued, you know, finished up some projects in my job, had the best, had such a great summer, even though I was grieving as well. But I was it's funny how multiple uh, feelings can occupy like the same space. Cause I was so grieving this relationship. Um, the, the divorce, I was grieving the divorce. I was scared to be a mom, but I was also going out to the pubs every day, drinking to- like just tonic, tonic and lime, right. With my little belly and just going out. Cause people yeah. in the UK, like it's just this culture of like, you have to go to the pubs after. And I just had so much fun um, while being sad, while grieving. And then by the time I moved back, I was like, okay, I'm going to prepare to be on mat leave. And I was able to build, you know, those years of my life, like rebuild my savings, um, rebuild my money and eventually get to the point where I was like, am I going to leave this job as a director of marketing in the UK that I get to do part-time now and re-enter the workforce and go into tech or oh my gosh it's so funny that you brought up I was you know going out and having fun but also grieving at the same time because I feel like so much of society 
doesn't allow you to have those two things at once. It's, oh, if you're grieving, then it has to look, you know, it has to be this linear sort of look to it and you can't be living life. So looking back now at those two different, you know, splits in your life um, was one harder than the other because I feel like you kind of knew yourself a bit more the second time around was it kind of like questioning like how much do I really know myself and like what I want the second time around? Yeah, I think that I instantly, I think I didn't realize it with my first divorce um, so much, but I think with my second one, Mm -hmm. it felt like how did this happen? Like I was kind of, I was really scared um, with my second divorce where I was like, I was so hypervigilant of finding the wrong partner and I was looking for signs and I couldn't see them that I was like, what is wrong with me? Like, I think I really internalized Mm -hmm. in that. Like something is innately wrong with me that I somehow recreated a similar situation. Um, and I just didn't see it. Um, because in this situation he left, I didn't leave. Um, and that's one where I don't go into like the reasons or like what happened was just because of my daughter and, you know, and stuff, but like, it wasn't my choice. Um, but I think, well, once it happened, Mm -hmm. I was like, okay, no, this, this definitely has to be this way. Mm -hmm. But I think that I, I thought I knew myself. That's the scary part is I thought I knew myself and I was like, how did this happen? How did this happen to me again? You know, like in, and I didn't really see it at the time. And later I was like, wow. It also could be a trauma bond relationship, but not, uh, but it looked really good and we loved each other. Like I had never been in love like I was in this relationship and um, in this marriage and my family loved him and all of that, that it actually could have those factors, but then have two people who actually still are kind of like have a lot of unresolved stuff who are just trying to find what they're missing in the other person and aren't able to find it. Right, which is so common too. To like to you're definitely not alone in that. And so, I can totally relate, yeah. especially looking at like my last one um, mm-hmm. and kind of what transpired too. And so yeah. um, so that is all happening. And now we're into, I guess, chapter three um, of you figuring out what you're going to yeah. do for work. <laughs> and I love how you've just kind of stepped into this yeah. and – also brought in a lot of things that you've learned um, throughout the years of, you know, healing and um, really diving into your own stuff. So what has that looked like the last few years? Yeah. So I think the, the last few years has really been a lot of like, healing my relationship with my mom for sure because once I had my daughter we had Mm -hmm. conversations um that we had never had before because I really wanted to go into that with like here are the things I don't want to repeat and here's the things that I loved about my childhood and then having to have that conversation also because I lived at home with my parents um until my daughter was like three and a half and so a lot of like immigrant parents when their daughter and their grandchildren, it's very common for like immigrant parents or immigrant <laughs> grandparents to like want to parent the grandchild. And so it's like setting boundaries and, you know, really recognizing that right. also were wildly different people than the ones who raised me, you know, that that was part of the healing. And then I think that allowed me to like really revisit who I am and why I was doing the things that I was doing, because I don't think that I was even asking myself those questions before. So I think in between 
me healing my relationship with my mom, bringing oh, how'd that go? to therapy, like having, oh, it's like, I, I would have loved for her to continue going on her own, but her coming with me, I realized mm. how much she was carrying. Like she was carrying so much stuff from her own, you know, childhood that I think I was able to really see her as like, like a, just like an, like a little girl still, you know, in many ways that like is still waiting to be seen and accepted and loved. And, um, I was able to just like, I don't know, like feel closeness to my mom in a way that I didn't before, because to be honest, like sometimes when you have like a weird relationship with your mom, you're like, I don't want to be hugged. I don't really want to tell you things because you're, you're not a safe person to tell things. Cause I feel like you're going to judge me that I, um, I was able to really like heal that now. Um, I don't feel those like same resentment things like towards my mom. Like I love my mom. I, I understand. I just understand. And I was able to like take care of my own things, even if she doesn't know, like we right. don't even need to have necessarily like all of those conversations. Um, and I think that's also what allowed me to, um, years in, I still had my same job based in the UK and realizing like going through the job interview process, um, there's so many tech companies here in the Bay Area that I, if I was thinking about what job could I raise a child as a single mom, it's like right. go into tech because it's going to pay you multiple six figures that going through that process and realizing like that same, it's like, this is the thing. Once you work really hard to get your intuition to talk to you, it's not, you can't pick when it's going to talk to you. It's going to show up. And that's what happened when I was like, why does this fit the bill of all the things I should want? Just like the marriages, just like all the other things, the salary, the office, the perks, the, mm. and everything in me was like, no, you're not going to come in to work here. Like this isn't for you. <laughs> and I was like, damn it. Can I just, what am I supposed it? to do looks like? And it could be like good shit or bad yeah. shit. It'll give it to mm -hmm. you exactly when it wants mm -hmm. to. And when you need it to, and it'll make you sit in yep. it. And yeah, yep. when you really have to confront things, I feel like it won't even yeah. go anywhere. You'll like try and, and push it to the side and it'll be like, no, 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 no. We're going to do this no. one more time. Like, <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. And sometimes it doesn't tell you what you're <laughs> supposed to do. Instead, it just tells you that's not for you. And so then I'm sitting and I'm like, well, right. this can't be wrong because what am I supposed to do? I didn't, Same. I wasn't someone who always knew I was going to be an entrepreneur. I just, I didn't, yes, yeah, so I feel like that's the thing too, is like, I was just so conditioned that I was like, even though in my jobs, I was very much the entrepreneur right. within the job, like doing stuff way beyond whatever my job description. But when I knew that the answer was no, was like when I had this job offer and it was a 180K job offer plus like bonus stock, it would have ended up being like a quarter million. And I just was like the idea of me going into the office was like it made me want to vomit. I was like, right. I can't. And I was like, why is this? And when I sent that email of like, thank you very much, like, no, um, I didn't actually know what it was going to be. I just was like, I'm gonna stay in my current job until I figure out what that's gonna be. And that is how I opened up the, the path for like coaching eventually to find me. Um and that was it. It was like, I remember getting like an ad. It was like a Tony Robbins ad um, for Dean Graziosi for KBB, uh, Knowledge Business Blueprint. And that was like literally the beginning mm. of a series of decisions of there's entrepreneurship. 
you can use the skills and the knowledge you already have to help people to start your own business. And once I started to find other coaches, it was like over for me. I was like, oh my gosh, like you think the same way. We're also like these big dreamers. And I just like fell into this and just fell in love with the idea of like, you, someone has to open the door right. and then you see it and that rewires something where you're like, I'm going to dream differently now. Mm-hmm. Cause I think I dreamed according to my options yes. or what I perceived were my options. And then when you go to a Tony Robbins event or I joined this Tony Robbins program, I, I it was the first time that even belief work was introduced to me mm. because Tony Robbins has a way of introducing belief work where you realize like, oh my gosh, so much of my perception creates my reality. Right. And I think that in itself like blew my mind because it was the first time that my logical brain could think of anything else in terms of my possibilities of what was logical. I started to think illogically. I started to think my possibilities in a way I was doing that when I quit my job to go solo travel, Mm -hmm. but I felt like, oh, I have no plan, but it was like, no, that was the plan. I was listening to my intuition. So I definitely was that. And I think once you entrepreneurs know, like when we talk to our friends and this is no shade, but it's like, when I talk to my friends with jobs, not to say that they all are this way, but it's like, it's just a different conversation. Entrepreneurs, like we can't not talk about our projects and our ventures and we're like and what about this and what about that and I was like I'm just hooked like this is just it for me and it took me a while to figure it out I was still like my daughter was home she was going to daycare part-time I started to kind of build an audience I started just trying to help people Mm -hmm. with what I knew even though I didn't have an offer or a coach for a while but once I like hired a coach knew what my offer was I had already built this like audience um And this brand for myself and obviously brought all my marketing knowledge with me where I'm like, I know how to create demand. I know how to create a community. And it didn't take me long. But before I did start booking clients, once I actually had an offer and I remember telling myself, you're not going to, you're not going to make it to your five-year anniversary of your job. Like you're going to quit somehow before that. Like I decided I'm not going to make it to the five years. Mm -hmm. And I said, when I book my third coaching client, I'm going to email HR and I'm going to hand in my notice. And I had to decide ahead of time because if I didn't, I would have talked myself out. Right. And I realized that a lot of what we create is just a series of decisions ahead of time. Just like I had to decide I'm not going to be in the workforce. I'm going to say no to this job offer. I'm going to join this program, even though I don't know what it's going to be. I'm not going to make it to the five-year anniversary. I am going to quit on my third client. Like you have, like there's just these decisions, but I honored, I followed through. And I quit my job. I handed my notice in after my landing my third client. And two days later, they laid off my whole team because it was COVID. No. They laid off most of the business. And I would have not had a job had I not been building the business on the side. And that was like the beginning of I create my own security. I plugged into a lot of things I thought would give me security, mm-hmm. like college degrees, the workforce, marriage, um, and realized like ever since... And I, not to say that like, I can't rely on anybody else, but like, I have never felt more in control of my own life as I have, um, since building my business and realizing that even when it feels out of control and I'm like, you can't predict the income, I feel like I can trust myself so deeply that no matter what, I will always figure it out and that nobody can take this from me because it's mine. It's my vision. It's my mission. It's my reputation that is, um, that is the backbone of like everything that I've built. And that was, that's the chapter that I've been in, you know, ever since in quitting the job and moving out of my parents' house, you know, moving to Oregon, moving back to San Francisco to be closer to them. 
and just having a such a different reality, like living back in my hometown and such different options and realizing my daughter's going to have such a different future and than I did. And, you know, the fact that she, her witnessing me as a single mother who's happy and who chooses herself every day, but who has multiple people who take care of her and love her mm-hmm. is like, I really had to just let go of like, there are multiple ways for you to have a dream life. Totally. Um, and so you're back in San Fran and, um, I love a NorCal moment, obviously, you know, my heart. <laughs> yeah. um, what is dating like for you now? Because I think it is just so horrible out there. I just don't even know what to do sometimes. I'm like, really? Girl, <laughs> I truthfully have not attempted again since I've moved back to SF. I did in Oregon. Mm-hmm. It was hard because the only free time I had was when my daughter was in preschool Mm. because I didn't have family out there. So I would literally say the only way we can go on a date is if we go on a coffee date, which means I can exit. Yes. If I don't like you, I only need an hour. (laughs) Second date's the real date. The first date is the one. You gotta suss it out, right? (laughs) Yeah. And it was hard. And then I was like, am I still attracting like unavailable men? Because I was like, I felt like I was just this magnet for emotionally unavailable men who would 180 me and all of this. So I think I just, I paused Mm -hmm. in Oregon because I I was like, okay, I still have some work to do because I'm not showing up fully. Like I had to take responsibility to be like, I'm holding back and trying to like people please and like be low maintenance. And in like, I, I felt like I was still attracting similar partners. So I paused And also, this is the thing I need to work through in therapy. But I was literally like, my money is going down right now while I'm dating. (laughs) Dating is like messing with my money flow. So ever since I stopped dating, I have made so much money. And I need to really, that's a messed up. Because my brain is hardwired to be like, girl, men cost you money. Every time you go through a divorce, every time you meet one, you lose money. Like just focus on your It's fucking true. No, I am so (laughs) with you. I am so with you because you go through this like lull and like I'm looking at like how I was with my last breakup and stuff and it affects me and how I show up for my business so much and it pisses me off more than anything because I'm like, you didn't even have a career, motherfucker. Like why am I like, why am I suffering right now? What the fuck? Um, and he didn't have a career. It's just so – It's you said, yeah. It's just like not having – Yeah, so you feel like how did I – how was this like – Yeah, and then like looking like, back like, too, I'm just like, what What were we going to do? Like you were just going to live off of me? It's – yeah, there's a lot of like – there's a lot of I think, yeah. money trauma that goes into mm-hmm. dating as well. Mm-hmm. And then um, – Oh, for sure. Just even, yeah, the type of people that we attract and like the type of people yeah. I'm attracted to as well. I'm just like – what is yeah, I feel like I want to undo the attraction to I don't know what to expect from this person and not make that be exciting. Right. Like I want – it's going to feel boring. Cool. Right. I'm, like I know that's how – it's going to feel boring for me because that's not how my relationships have felt. But also now it's like not dating ambition or potential and dating reality, especially when you're in your 30s mm-hmm. and above. You're just like – Hey, who he is on the date is who he is. Like, we're not buying into dreams. I'm not buying into I'm doing this, but I'm going to do this later. I'm like, no, do you choose this person for who they are today? Not trying to change them because that's also what I would do. I'd be like, okay, he's here, but like he's trying to do this other thing. And then you just end up resenting the person because (laughs) 
they're the same person. I'm like literally facepalming <laughs> myself because I'm like, you need to listen. I'm going to re-listen to that over and over again because it's so <laughs> true. And yeah, I – Yeah, we're not like 22 no. where it's I'm like, like – they're like, we're, we have big dreams. Right? I'm like, no, you're living your Like I might do my master's or something. Like if a guy told me that now, I'd be like, you know what? Good luck with that. I wish you all the best. Like – Right now, like, no, I'm trying I'm to pivot. Here. I'm doing this. <laughs> yeah. I'm you like, know, might start a like tech company or something. Great. Love that for you. Go do it with somebody else. It's not happening <laughs> cool. here. Yeah, I'm not along for this. Also, I, realize I have to date somebody with an entrepreneurial mind who is okay with me sharing. Yeah. Because when you were like, oh, yeah, we're always like, oh, I can't wait for this. And like really excited about new opportunities. I realized recently not dating an entrepreneur that he just didn't get it. He didn't understand what it was like wanting more for what you already have. And I mean, settling essentially and being like, oh yeah, Yeah. that's like such a cool idea as opposed to being like, oh, but like, you know, how am I going to sit home and like watch movies at night and like smoke my weed or whatever and like not work for me? I'm just like, but yeah, like I don't want to not do that. Yeah. Like, I want to find shit I'm excited about all the time. And sometimes it's just an idea, but like <laughs> bear with me. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like live in my mind with me because we live in a little universe in our brains. Right. Entrepreneurs live in a universe in our brains. And it's like, come, come hang out with me here because there's lots of stuff going on. There's a lot of ideas. And we're just big dreamers. And like we think about possibilities and we love what we do. So I feel like even when it's hard and there's a bunch of stuff we don't like, but it's like I don't, we don't, I don't go to something and then want to check out from it. It's like I'm always kind of thinking about it, you know? So yeah, it definitely is like someone, and they don't necessarily have to be an entrepreneur, but I think like somebody who, um, doesn't need to understand, but like supports me and is excited because I'm excited, you know, and, and, and that, and like really having that. And I think the other thing too, that like my past (laughs) I look at in terms of, you know, like ambition, it's like, I just, I need someone with like equal ambition. And even if he's, you know, in the workforce and whatever, but it's like, there's always something that he's striving for, like internally or like development or awareness, please be in therapy or at some point have been in therapy, like something where you're looking to better yourself, not I am the way that I am. Like basically growth mindset in some form or fashion because I'm going to be a different person every year. That's kind of the way that I see it is like, if you're with me or you're my friend or whatever, like we're always different people. Um, and someone who ex- is expects that mm-hmm. and doesn't expect me to like stay the same necessarily. Um, so yeah, I think that that's really, but that, that really requires you knowing yourself and not judging yourself or trying to fit yourself into a box right. and just be like, this is who I am, who actually fits with me and like where I'm going, um, totally. versus trying to people please, you know, so not dating. I'm pray for me because I'm going to try again this year but it's like I need to feel like I'm so good that like it's not gonna like rock my business right because things are so good right now I'm so happy and I don't want to go into dating with like this is gonna mess my money up but I'm like that's so funny that's that's my that's my work in therapy this season I love it. Well, um, we went through quite the roller coaster. We went like back into (laughs) your childhood and fast forward to now um, where you are in your thriving girl era. And that being said, if you could now tell your younger self just one thing, um, what would it be? And 
while you're thinking about that, what is also, say your daughter is listening to this like 15 years from now, um, what is a message you would like for her to know? Mm, For her in like 15 years from now? Okay, so the very first thing that pops out at me for like me talking to my younger self is it's like the phrase like choose yourself above like anyone else Mm. and that like you're the most important relationship you're ever going to have in your entire life Mm. and you don't understand this now but whenever you think about what someone else needs or making yourself wrong like you're abandoning yourself choose yourself above anyone else Mm -hmm. um so I feel like that's the main thing because I really did choose jobs people relationships right man for my daughter it's so funny because I try to think about what the world is going to be like for her and um that's such a good question when I think about her in 15 years she'll be 20 or 21 and you know what? Okay, this is how I know. It's, this is the message. <clears throat> that like, she doesn't ever have to be or do anything for me. All I want is for her to keep discovering who she is, keep making the decisions that she thinks are best for her. And no matter what mistakes you will make, no matter what, it will never, it's impossible for me mm-hmm. to love you any less mm-hmm. every single day that passes. I can only love you more and you can never... Um, there's never any mistake or anything that you could make that would make me not be there for you. Mm, I love that. <laughs> what a- That would make me cry. <laughs> but I'm like, that's my baby. Because if I knew that, right. um, I feel like I would have made different choices if I felt like I had a safe, uh, a safe place to go back to. Right. Without judgment yeah. or anything. And I want to always be that for her no matter what choices she's made, I always want to be a safe person for her. Even if, um, even if I happen to be the only one in a certain season of her life. Oh, that was so sweet. I feel like so many parents, um, cause so many of my friends who listen are parents as well. And they'll probably share that same sentiment with you. Um, so I'm so excited to, be yeah. able to hear your episode. I learned so much about you in this like one hour. <laughs> it is unreal. Cause there were so many things where I was like, excuse me, wait, what? I've had a lot of chapters. I was like, yeah, the underground UK like hip hop one was one. A lot of people I don't always tell, but this is this is why I'm like, you know, I may have made a lot of different choices in my life and I, I wouldn't change them. Mm-hmm. But I think like even just bringing into coaching, like I think about how like this is what the wisdom is for, you know, like I don't, I actually did the thing. I opted into the, all the, I opted into all the things. Right. So it's like, I, I want everyone that like knows me or is in my presence to just be like, it's never too late. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, everything that you've done in the past is going to serve you to some extent, including and especially your mistakes, you know? And I think like bringing that, like that life experience into what I do makes me feel like, of course you had to go through all of that because, you know, you use it to help other people now. So I wouldn't change it, you know? So that's what it makes me think about when I think about all the the different chapters and like being the age that I am now mm-hmm. and um, just realizing like, yeah, it's just, it's never too late to, to be able to, to change what you're doing, to choose yourself, to start over. Totally. Well, girl, it has been a pleasure. 
Um, I cannot wait to hang out with you. Um, yes, we need to. Yes, I'll, I'll you tell me when you're in the city. I'll be back soon um, for many reasons, which I'll slide in your DMs about. Um, yes. But where can people slide into your DMs? <laughs> so you'll find me on Instagram um, at Mariella with one L, um, Delamora. I would love to just hear thoughts, takeaways, like parts of my story that you like saw yourself in um, because that matters. It, it's just my story is so important and I want to help. I want other people to know their story is important. So it means a lot whenever anyone's like, hey, I just felt seen by that and I needed to hear that. Totally. So. Well, there were so many moments that I took away and I was like, shit, there's other people who have gone through this and yeah, they might have not necessarily, you know, mm-hmm. came from the same background, but yeah, it's kind of all one and the same. Um, it yeah. just brings us together. Yeah. It is. And you know, no matter what you think, like we're no, we're not alone. We just, you know, there's definitely other people out there and that's why our stories are important. Totally. Well, we will have all of Mariella's um, accounts and website and stuff tagged below and we will see you on the next episode of Here for a Good Time. 